The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh my goodness. Listen, there really is a church here. There really is people here. I, now, you guys know, if you don't know me, my name is Justin, I'm one of the pastors here, and I am a rather passionate and emotional person, and I am very thrilled to see you this morning, and I'm going to try to restrain myself as much as possible. The weather is nice. As long, listen, if the kids cooperate, I might go an hour and a half, okay? That's just, <laughs> I, I have missed you. I have missed your faces. Um, I'm giving you a big old hug right now. That's all I can do, because you got cooties, so stay away, but just joking, just joking. But I love you. I know we're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. That worship was just what I needed this morning. We might just start over. We might let whoever needs to leave, leave, and we just start over and just do it again. Because it's pent up in me, and I've been, I've been missing it, something fierce. So if you're new here, welcome. Um, we normally don't meet like this, right? I know if some of you have maybe like a Pentecostal background and this might be bringing flashbacks to your mind here, there are, we're not bringing snakes out, I promise, okay? I know there's a lot of room in the rows here, but we're not knocking anybody down today, okay? But this is a blessing that we get to gather together in the midst of all the crazy that's going on in our world and worship our God and sing together and read together and hear the preaching of God's word together. What we've been experiencing the last few months, obviously, is not how we were made to function, right? That's why we've been experiencing some, some negative emotions and negative things going on. So this is a great opportunity for us. So I'm gonna jump right in. I'm not gonna try to waste any more time. I'm gonna get right to our text because I am gonna try to keep it short this morning. So let me just read it one more time. Open up your Bibles if you got it. Open up your app. It's one verse this morning. So I wanna draw our attention to the text of scripture. Here's what it says. The Apostle Paul writing to the Colossians, he says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, if you are just joining us, We've been studying the ancient book of Colossians written by the Apostle Paul for the past five months. The first couple chapters are all about the supremacy of Jesus. They go on and on about Christ's cosmic authority, that he is literally over everything. And then Paul makes this bold move. He says to these normal, 
everyday Christians, people like us, people living in a relatively small town that's off the beaten path, off the beaten path, people who have come to believe the gospel through the preaching of this guy named Epaphras, he makes this bold move and he says to these normal, nothing special Christians, that cosmic Christ who rules over everything lives in you by the power of the Spirit. Now, I want you to hear that this morning because he's speaking that also to us. Kids, I want you to hear that this morning. Jesus Christ, the most amazing, beautiful, powerful, kind person who has ever walked this earth. He, he was so because he was God in the flesh. This same Jesus wants to live in you. He wants to come into your heart and fill it with all of his beauty, all of his power, all of his kindness, and all of his love. He wants to drive out of us everything that is dark, everything that is depressed, everything that is ugly. He wants to drive it out by the power of his spirit. In the past few weeks, if we, as we've been studying this third chapter of Colossians, we've been studying how Jesus drives out that ugly in us, how he drives out that self-centered nature that we all have, and he replaces it with that God-centered nature. In other words, Paul says it like this, how we go from immoral, impure, angry, lustful, slanderous, lying people, that's the words he used, to this, to holy, beloved, compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient people who bear with one another and forgive one another. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, how does a person go from a self-centered sinner to a God-centered saint? How does that transition take place? Most of us are going to say something like, a lot of discipline, right? A lot of effort, a lot of counseling, maybe some medication, right? It's going to take a lot of moral striving. We all know people don't change easily, right? But the scriptures show us a completely different way, a counterintuitive way that people change. God's way of changing people doesn't begin with any of our own hard work or effort or determination. It begins and ends with God himself. Look at verse 12 briefly this morning. Paul says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on what? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another in love. Do you see the order of what Paul's saying here? Paul says this, I want you to act this way because you already are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's the order of verse 12. Do you see what he's saying? Here's what he's saying. God's verdict of us comes down to us before the trial takes place. Kids, 
Can you imagine getting your grades the first day of school before you had done anything to earn them? Kids, like when you get that fresh number two pencil, they also hand out honor roll. Summa cum laude, first day of school. That's what the gospel does for us. We become the righteousness of God through the righteousness of Christ and we get the verdict before the trial. See, he's not saying be kind, be compassionate, be loving so that God will love you and God will choose you. He's saying the exact opposite. He's saying because you've already been chosen by God by nothing but grace, because God has chosen to love you in spite of anything you've ever done or anything you've not done. He has made you holy by the act of choosing you himself, by putting his love on you, by filling you with his spirit. He has set you apart as his own. That's what it means to be holy. He reached down and picked you up and he calls you his own and now you're holy, not because of any moral striving or superiority, not because you aced your Bible reading plan, not because you've, you know, your Netflix history is, is, is like a saint, right? No, 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 you're holy because God chose you in Christ. He's saying this, kids, you're summa cum laude. You're on the honor roll. Now live like it. You're holy, beloved. You're chosen. Now live out of that. Live like it. See, Christians and people in general, we're always obsessed with being better. We're always obsessed with being better. So when we hear about God's salvation in Christ, we assume, oh, I must be better and then God will love me. I must become morally holy and then I'll be accepted. Then I'll be a Christian. See, God, that's not the way God works. God doesn't take things that are kind of broken down and just repairs them. Like he takes an old, like we're an old, barely functioning automobile and he gives us an up, a few upgrades. No, the apostle Paul says, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are spiritually dead and God through Christ makes us alive. He makes us brand new. And then once we've been made spiritually alive by God and God dwells in us, that Paul calls this us, he calls it the new us or the new self. It's our real life, Paul calls it, that's hidden with Christ in God. Now it is from this new you, this new heart that God puts in you, that through his Holy Spirit, now he's saying, what I have put in you, Christian, live out of what I have put in you. Live out of that new heart, live out of that new self. As God's holy chosen, loved people, live out of that. So if you are a Christian, you are a Christian because of what God has done, not because of what you have done. It's all a result of his grace, his one-way love towards sinners. Now, this is great news for us this morning that we should sing about and rejoice in because it means we can stand up with confidence and say, because of what Jesus has done, I am God's chosen. I am holy. I am beloved. And we can start out our spiritual life and our everyday life 
from the position of acceptance and love. That we aren't trying to achieve something. We aren't trying to prove ourselves or earn the acceptance of a distant father. We aren't working to gain something that we don't have. Rather, we are loved. And now we are trusting with all our might and all our strength and all our wisdom and all our souls to live like we're loved. Now, why is that so hard? It's so hard because the remains of the old man or the old woman, that self-centered self, will remain in us as competing desires to our new self until we meet Jesus face to face. So what do we do until then? This is the way I've said it the past few weeks. We are to keep our foot on the throat of the old man, the old self-centered self. We're to keep our foot on its throat with its competing desires. We're to keep our foot on its throat until we see Jesus face to face. Well, you might say, well, what does that look like? How do I keep the foot on the throat of my old man? How are we to live out of this new man or new woman, grow up into the men and women that Jesus has called us to be? Well, we've already known from the first three chapters that we don't move on from the gospel to something else, no. But anytime I share the gospel, these are the emails I get. What do you mean it's all done? What do you mean it's all finished? What do you mean Jesus did everything? What am I supposed to do now? What do you want me to do? Here's what everybody said. What do you want me to do? Just sit down and do nothing? It blows me on my, my mind. Um, let's, let's, let's put rewind a week. Let's rewind a week. We're all sitting inside. It's raining. We're in 40 degree weather, right? And someone offers you a free private jet to take to your, your destination of choice. You can go to the beach, all by, you can go to the beach with yourself and your friend or whatever, or your, or your family, or you can go to the mountains. You can sit in Colorado, right? And they offer this to you and they get you there and they sit you down to your place of choice on the beach with a nice drink in your hand and the waves crashing and the wind blowing or the mountain stream coming down and you're in Colorado and they sit you there all by their sheer grace. You did nothing to deserve it. And you look at them and you go, well, what, what do you want from me now? Well, what am I supposed to do? You just want me to sit here and enjoy it? And they look at you and they're like, yeah, that's the point. Sit there and enjoy it. Bask in the beach. Bask in the glory of the creation. This is what Jesus wants you to do with your salvation, with your righteousness that he's given you. Enjoy the good news. Who, who would have thought, who would have thought that good news should be enjoyed? They should call it good or something, you know? They should call the message of Christianity good. They do, it's the gospel, it's good news. And we're meant to enjoy it. Look how Paul says it in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly. Now, every word of the scriptures are intended for our benefit, 
There are not, no words are just thrown in there. Just wanted to, you know, like he's writing a paper and he's got to meet a 500 word count. So he's just throwing in extra adjectives, right? You, you know, you've done it, right? That's not what Paul's doing here. He says, let the word of Christ. Now, what is the word of Christ? We might assume, oh, it's just the Bible. It's just the word of God. And in one sense, that is true. All the word of God is the word of Christ. But this is something specific. Hear this, people. Hear this, theologians out there. This is the only place in all the scriptures where he says the word, anybody says the word of Christ. Usually they say the word of God, the word of the Lord. This is the word of Christ. And so it kind of includes all the Bible, but Paul's drawing our attention specifically to the word of Jesus, Jesus as the better word, the gospel itself, what Jesus Christ has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. And I want you to remember the gospel, there's two sides of it. Theologians call it the active righteousness of Christ and the passive righteousness of Christ. And what, they're, what theologians are trying to draw attention to is Jesus, he saved us by his death, but he also got us something through his life. His life is what he earned for us, the righteousness of Christ. He never sinned. He was perfect in all things. But by his death, he earned our forgiveness, right? It's like this, Harry Potter fans. When Harry Potter captured the golden snitch, right? His whole team won. Gryffindor won, right? He earned a righteousness to them. He earned benefits for them. Christ, by his perfect life, he gives us that righteousness so God the Father sees us through the righteousness of Jesus, right? Jesus earned it for us. But then at the end of Harry Potter, right, Harry, surprise, surprise, in a crazy plot twist that we've never heard before, gives his life to defeat death. Where, would, where did that one come from, right? And by, thereby saving everyone because he defeats death, he defeats evil through his own death. He defeats Voldemort, there it is. Mimicking what Jesus Christ has done. Jesus defeated death in our place, removing the wrath of God from us so we never have to fear the wrath of God again, right? We can be confident there. So Jesus, that's the word of Christ. What God has done for you in Jesus's death and what God has done for you in Jesus's life. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says it like this. For our sake, he, God, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. We can never hear this too much. Because of Jesus, you are righteous if you put your faith in Christ. Listen, that is the radical word of Christ. I want you to hear that this morning. We can never hear it too much. You are loved by God. You have been chosen by God by nothing but his grace. You have been forgiven by God because of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with your internet search history. It has nothing to do with how kind you've been the last few weeks. It has nothing to do with how much your anger has overflowed its banks the past few weeks. It has nothing to do with how many sermons you skipped this last week because nobody would know it. Doesn't have anything to do with that. 
Your standing with God is solely 100% dependent upon what Jesus Christ has done for you. And what does Paul say about that? Paul says, let that word dwell in you. Hear that. Let it live. Let it move into your soul and push out the, the old renters, right? Push out the old words that are down in there that tell you you're not good enough, that you're not forgiven, that God doesn't love you unless you obey all the law all the time. Let the word of Christ move into your soul and evict the, those old renters, right? Let it dwell in you. Let it take possession of you. Let the gospel move in and get down into your heart, the motivating center of your identity. So now you don't live out of those old lies of the old man anymore. You live out of the gospel, the good news. You live like you're loved. You live like you're beloved. You live like you're chosen. You live like you've forgiven. And he says this, let the gospel, let that word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it live. Let it not just hit you on a weekly basis. Let it move in, right? And it's not moving in. Oh boy. Like that poor college kid that wants to move in and mooch off of you, right? The gospel is going to move in and dwell there richly. He's coming in with his resources, Ab he's going to dwell there. Let it dwell there abundantly, lavishly. Now, let me state the obvious here. Paul doesn't warn us from partaking too much of the word of Christ. Like, the gospel isn't good like sugar is good. Right? Jesus doesn't say, yeah, I want you to think of the gospel and I want you to meditate on the words of Christ and all the things that Jesus has done for you, but don't get carried away with it. You need some spinach with those cookies, right? You still need to work hard to make sure God loves you. You, you still need some effort in there to ensure the blessing of God as if the righteousness of Christ was not enough and we needed to supply some of our own righteousness. No, how do we grow up into this new man, this new woman, this identity we've been given in Christ. How do we grow up in it? Let the word of Jesus dwell in us richly. You can never have too much good news. You can never be encouraged by the gospel too much. Hold on, I'm getting carried away. Tell me some bad news. No. Well, how do we do that? I have no idea what time we started, so I have no idea what time I end. But I'm getting, no, I'm not. I'm getting there. Kids are doing amazing. Well, some of the old saints that went before us, this is what they said. Our work, let me say it like this. God starts the fire in us, and it's our job, in a sense, to keep the fire. You know what that, I mean by keep the fire? Stoking the fire, moving it around, right? Keep, in a sense, keeping it going. It's not our work, but we're keeping what God's put in. And so the old saints used to call this work that Christians still had to partake in, they called it keeping the heart, keeping it. 
Like you would keep a garden, let's say. Keeping the heart is the work that we do, here again, enabled by the Spirit of God through the means of grace, so it's still all dependent on Him, to stir our affections for Jesus and live out of the new man that God has created us to be. Now here it is. Here's what Paul's gonna show us. Well, I can show us this. Keeping the heart is both personal and communal, and you need both light and heat in order to keep the heart. I'm gonna skip the, now I'll give you a brief. What does personal mean? Personal means you've got work to do on your own to what? To, to hear the word of the Lord, to hear the word of Jesus, to remind you, we call it gospeling ourselves, preaching the gospel to our own hearts, reading the word and applying it to our own hearts, praying and pouring our heart out to the Lord, reading devotional, doing the personal work necessary to keep our affections hot for Jesus. Journaling, prayer walk, whatever it is your thing is, we've got personal work to do. But if there's anything we figured out over the last eight weeks, if you're like me, I don't assume that you are because I'm a crazy person, but I can't keep my own heart very well. You make me a better man. You make me a better pastor. Gathering together and worshiping God together actually does something to me on a week in and week out basis. Taking the Lord's Supper does something to me on a week in and week out basis. And that's exactly what Paul shows us here. Listen to this, personal growth, personal change, living out of the new man that God made us, this new identity that God gave us is a community project. Look at our text, chapter Three, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay, how? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's the light. Teaching and admonishing one another. What is, okay, we know, we know what teaching means. Paul's saying, if you want to live out of this new identity, if you want to live out of your new man and continue to put to death the old man, you need people to teach you the gospel week in and week out. Well, that is my job, but that's also the job of every one of us to do that together as the body of Christ. We teach one another. No, that's not wise. No, that's not driven by the gospel. Nope, that's from the old man. Yep, that's from the new man. We're to admonish one another. Admonish literally means correct, right? We're to get in each other's way when we're pursuing something that's driven by the old man, we're meant to step in front of one another and go, oh bro, are you sure you're living out of the new man right now? Or is that coming out of the old man? Is that driven from old desires? Or is that driven from the new desires? We need community to help one another do that. Now listen, I put this under the category of light, instruction, teaching, wisdom. Oh, okay, yeah, I see that, I get that. I need correction, okay. We all need community for, the, for that pur purpose, right? But Paul takes it one step farther. Look what he says next. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is the heat that we all need. See, our old man is so set on pulling us back into our old ways and he doesn't do that just 
cognitively, mentally, by convincing us. He does that through our desires, through our emotions, through our hearts. And so we need more than just truth into our minds. We need our hearts to be stirred. We need our affections to be stirred. And one of the ways that the old man likes to trip us up is assuming that God always thinks like we do. Let me give you an example. See, when someone sins against us, typically we get angry, right? We either push away from that person and isolate ourselves and cut them off, or we lash out at that person and let them have it right away. See, our hearts are set like a thermostat set to 70 degrees. Our hearts are set on law, on works, on tit for tat. Our hearts are naturally stingy with grace. We say things like, fool me once, shame on me, you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Basically saying, I'll let you sin against me once, but never again. We wonder why most of our relationships have a shelf life of maybe a couple years. See, we think because we're stingy with grace that God is stingy with grace. And so when we sin, we say, God can't love me because I'm a slacker. God can't love me because I skipped church again and I could have watched it whenever I wanted to watch it. I didn't have to wake up early. God can't love me because I looked at that again. God can't love me because I lashed out again. See, we think God's like us. He's not. And so we need people to remind us, to teach us and admonish us over and over and over. God's not like you. That's what he said when he said, my thoughts are above your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. He's saying, my mercy cannot run out. My mercy is new every morning. Never gonna run out of grace. But like I said, it's not just a mental thing. We need our hearts to realize it. God never, can you imagine? This one thought could be enough for this whole week if you really sat on it. God never gets tired of giving you grace. I consider myself to be a pretty good dad. I run out of grace quick. I get tired of giving grace. We don't understand that God is not like us. He never gets tired of giving grace. He never runs out of mercy towards sinners. So we teach and we admonish each other in the gospel, but our souls need more than just light. We need more than just truth that our minds can grasp onto. I talk to so many people over this quarantine that go, Justin, yeah, I get it. I understand that God loves me, but why do I feel this way? Why are my emotions off? Why is my soul messed up? I get it. God still loves me. God's going to protect me. God's watching over. God's sovereign. I get it, but I don't feel it. It's not changing my heart. It's because we need more than just light. We, we need more than just truth that our minds can grasp. Here it is. We need heat. 
to defrost our frozen hearts to the love of God. So God, so Paul gives this other command for us. He says, singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Think of it like this. It's a little hard right now. I'm here sweating like a pig. So it's hard to use this analogy, but I'm gonna use it anyways. Imagine it's zero degrees out. You've got your furnace going full blast and yet your bedroom is ice cold, right? Now this has happened sometimes. One of the reasons your bedroom could be ice cold is that the vents to your bedroom have been shut off. You've closed those vents. And no matter how hard the furnace is working, your bedroom is never going to get warm. Now here's, what's, here's the analogy. There's something about singing the truth that opens the vents to our hearts and allows the truth of God to get down into us in a unique way. Not just in a cognitive, intellectual way. Oh, that's an interesting thought. I never thought that. Oh, I, I see that's really cool, yeah. No, no, no. It's a way that can be felt. It's a way that can be experienced. And so this is why we love to sing the truth, right? We don't come just for the preaching, thank God right? Guess what? I didn't miss the preaching. Well, I missed you preaching too, right? But I still preach week in, week out. But what I missed was us together singing the truth, right? Because it does something in our hearts. It does something in our affections. It brings heat to our cold souls. So Paul says this, to live out of the new man, we need to gather together. We need to teach one another. We need to admonish one another. And we need to sing. We need to sing the truth, right? We need to sing it until it gets down in our souls. Now we're gonna do that, this, this whatever time this is, noon. We're gonna sing it in a minute. But before we do, we're gonna partake in the Lord's Supper. And I just wanna offer, offer this, listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you, maybe you've got all kinds of different things in your mind of what that meant. Maybe you thought you had to be good enough. I pray that you would see, no, Jesus has been good enough for you and you'd embrace him by faith this morning. And for those of us who know it in our heads, but our heart still wants to earn it, our heart still wants to prove ourselves, our heart still is convinced that God is stingy with grace, I pray that you would receive it through my words and my teaching, pray that you would receive it through the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed for you, and I pray that you would receive it through the singing of the gospel this morning, and I pray that your heart would be encouraged that God loves you because he loves you, because of the work of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I do thank you for this beautiful day that we could gather. But more than the weather, I thank you for the gospel, the good news that needs to be reveled in, the good news that needs to be heard and understood, but also loved and cherished and worshiped and enjoyed. And I pray that we could enjoy it this morning. I pray that we even have enjoyed it this morning, that you are good and you do good, and we thank you for all of your magnificent works. Father, now I pray, as it comes time to take the supper, 
And it's a word of grace that you died for us, that your body was broken for us, that your blood was shed for us. And all we do is open up our hands and receive it this morning. And this, what we do with our bodies, is a symbol of what we do with our heart and opening up ourselves to your grace. I pray that we would eat nourishment to our souls for the glory of God, for the good of our city, for the good of ourself this morning. Father, I pray that you would do something even in our singing after the supper, that you would work the truth of God down into the dark corners of our soul, that we would believe and even feel that we have been chosen, that we have been forgiven, that we have been set apart, that we have been called holy by the work of Jesus Christ. To the glory of God alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.